team for um, uh, leading us in those great songs today. All those songs you know, really come out of the heart breathings of people as they've reflected on the truths of Calvary and uh, the wonder of uh, Christ's love and uh, the sacrifice that he made for us. You can just see there the are songs that come from the heart and they are a real blessing uh, for us today. What we're going to do first, I just want to show a, a short video. So if you can get that uh, up and running, Nate, and Dan, you can turn those lights off. That will help us to um, make a start there. So now we come to Friday, April 3rd, AD 33. The trials of Jesus begun in the early morning hours begin with the Jews, and they involve a brief appearance from Herod Antipas. But ultimately, the decision under God must rest with the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. A crucifixion, of course, was not a punishment invented only for Jesus, so it'll be helpful for us to learn a little bit of the history behind this barbaric form of torture in Roman times. If the disciples then could have heard that we now refer to this as Good Friday, they undoubtedly would have been perplexed, perhaps even offended, due to the suffering, shame, and humiliation that Christ endured. But while it's easy for us to focus only upon Christ's sufferings, for those of us with eyes to see, there's also glory to be found in this most important of days in salvation history. Now we're up to the first Good Friday, and actually the action begins just before dawn when the Sanhedrin has to convene one last time in order to endorse what they had decided the night before, that Jesus should die. Because according to Jewish law, you cannot sentence a man to death in a night session. So this is why Luke carefully tells us that the Sanhedrin met on Friday morning, and they simply endorsed what they had done the night before at the Caiaphas hearing, and that is Jesus must die. They learned the process of crucifixion from, indeed, uh, the Persians. Uh, They crucified some of their admirals after they lost the first naval battle to the Romans in the First Punic War uh, in the 3rd century B.C., and uh, then used it in Rome only for extreme uh, criminals. Those who were not Roman citizens could be crucified for serious crime. The whole idea is, look what this poor miscreant is suffering. Don't do what he did, or you're going to get hung up on the cross the same way. And therefore, it is a way of preventing further crime, they thought, in addition to giving the the, uh, miscreant a very horrible way to die. When we look at the the way the Gospels, the different Gospels, present Jesus' suffering at the cross, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tend to focus more on the humiliation that Jesus endured and on the physical pain that he endured, Uh, while John, probably writing last, presents the cross more as a station uh, back to the glory that Jesus had before the world began. It's not so much that he minimizes the 
physical suffering that Jesus endured, but he shows that the spiritual reality of of glory being brought to the Father, even at the cross, overrides any physical suffering that he may have had to endure. And, of course, the writer to the Hebrews as well says that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. So you see in the in the biblical material uh, this emphasis that uh, the suffering was a necessary pathway to eternal glory. Just to uh, give us a picture there of what uh, what took place on that uh, Friday, the first Good Friday, as as um, the first announcer said, many of the disciples would probably be shocked today if we called it Good Friday, given the sort of uh, barbaric and the horrible death that uh, Jesus took on our behalf. So, um, a Good Friday is a day when we, we remember with focus significance um, the death, the, the, actually the, the bloody death of Jesus Christ two thousand years ago. It's not that we don't think about it through the rest of the year. But it's a day where we have sort of sort of concentrated focus as we think about this uh, incredible event that took place. Uh, good Friday is all about the crucifixion of Jesus. And for Christians, there is no gospel, there is no good news of salvation without the cross. So uh, we're going to just reflect on that today for just a, a few short moments. Father, we just ask and pray now that you would help us uh, come together around your word. And we ask and pray that, Holy Spirit, you would just uh, help us to d- separate all the um, things of this week that create into our hearts and our minds. Lord, all the things even today as we've uh, driven here in our cars to get to church, Lord, and to meet together, the things, Lord, that we've gone past that perhaps have occupied our minds. We pray that, Lord, you'll just uh, help us now to come back and to reflect on this uh, very significant occasion. And uh, we pray, Holy Spirit, you would just deepen our grasp and our understanding of the work of Christ at the cross. And we pray that you would deepen our love and worship for him in this amazing sacrifice that he's made on our behalf. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. It probably seems like the most unlikely things to remember and signify somebody's life with uh, by death. Yeah, but with Jesus, that's exactly what we do. We hold him firmly in the middle of our faith or our belief system that he was uh, viciously and brutally slain, put to death on a uh, Roman wooden cross just over 2,000 years ago. Normally you'd like to remember somebody's life with some sort of feel-good situation, something that's really been lovely and warm and, and happy that you can focus on. And we do get that element with Jesus as well in three days' time uh, when he does rise from the grave through the resurrection. It also uh, is a great occasion. But the cross is one of the pinnacles of Jesus' life and probably one of the most extreme pinnacles here uh, as we think about it. And I think for many people they probably have questions about the cross. They probably do. They sort of think like, gee, what's this all about? You know, what's a bunch of people doing here today? Sort of thinking around the cross of Jesus Christ. And uh, what's it all about? I suppose there's many who ask themselves, why did Jesus have to die? What was the purpose in Jesus dying? Wasn't there some other way God could have rescued humanity from their woeful, sinful condition? Wasn't there sort of a more, sort of more easier way or a way that seems a bit more palatable to us? Why does it have to be through a horrific death like crucifixion? 
Surely in this modern world we live in, the cross is sort of old school thought. We don't sort of want to think on that sort of thing. Well, why could the God have just sat down at the table with humanity and just sort of let's talk all this through? Why such a brutal thing or such a stark reality that we see here in the cross? Why does Jesus have to die and what was achieved by Jesus through this death? Today I want to just look at three reasons why Jesus came to die. Well, we could go through a whole bunch of reasons, and there is, but I just want to select three today to help us think about the cross and to hopefully deepen our understanding of the work of the cross. And these three reasons will be, firstly, to absorb God's wrath. Secondly, to demonstrate his own love for us. And thirdly, that Jesus' death on the cross was to make us holy, blameless, and perfect. Let's start off then with absorbing God's wrath. This is a much overlooked achievement of what Jesus has done at the cross for us. And I think we really do struggle to come to terms with the justice of God when we think about this. We sung those songs there before about once we were his enemy. Uh, they're, they're sort of not terms we're sort of really used to, but that's really what the Bible is about when it talks about here God's justice. It's sometimes we just don't like to think of God who is one who punishes the ungodly. We sort of get this picture of a sort of a grandfatherly figure sitting in his chair and just hugging and holding everybody, but we don't see also God in his perfections is a God of justice as well. And we need to see that. We need to see in all of God's character there is this element here of justice, which is a good justice that God um, has for us. Galatians 3.13 begins to pick this up where Paul's writing to Galatians. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us, as it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus became a curse when he carried our sin. So therefore he bore the right anger of God's justice towards our open rebellion before God through our lives. This is what Jesus did on our behalf. You see, what, what blinds us to this view of God and God's justice and his right anger or his right wrath towards sin is we don't see the depth of evil in our own sin in the lives that we lead. We look at our own sin and we sort of mark it down as just a little mistake and that's sort of something you can sweep under the carpet and it's not too bad, you know, everybody does those sort of things. We don't see the depth of evil in our own sin so therefore we don't see what great an offence it is. When we get angry or bitter towards someone, we don't really see it as a sin against God. We don't see it as an action that's actually directed towards God as well. In that type of action, we sort of think, oh, well, they deserved it. They got what, they, what uh, was coming towards them, and they should have, you should have seen what they did to me. We sort of justify maybe why we react in certain ways and why I could be uh, right in saying what I like to say at that particular time, even though I was incredibly angry. We don't see that we've sinned against an almighty sovereign who deserves total and complete obedience without question. We don't see the... I guess the um, position that God is in. Now, perhaps if we were to attack our next door neighbour or someone was to attack their next door neighbour, they would be punished in line with that crime. But if someone was to go and make an attack on the uh, Prime Minister or the Premier, someone in a very high authority, that crime would take on a whole new dimension. Sure, you would get punished in the sense of, you know, you've you've, uh, attacked your neighbour, you've stolen something, but if you go and attack the Prime Minister or the Premier... It takes a whole new level because you've attacked somebody in a, in a high authority position. So as we sin against other people who are made in the image of God to do and to plan evil things against them, we actually are making an attack 
or a sin against a sovereign God who ordains life and who gives life and breath of the highest authority. And God doesn't sweep those things under the carpet like we might do at times. A good person doesn't turn a blind eye to evil. God is a good God and he doesn't turn a blind eye to the evil that is carried on around this world in and through our lives. God decrees that the penalty of sin is death. Ezekiel 18.4 says that, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. And the soul who sins shall die. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's no confusion there with what God has written in the scriptures, in the Bible. There's no disputing what God says. He says when we sin, when we commit evil against him, death is the penalty, death is the payment for that sin or for that evil that we've committed. But what does Jesus do in this sense here of absorbing God's wrath? Galatians 3 tells us that Jesus becomes that curse for us. Jesus bears God's wrath on our behalf. He becomes the one who absorbs God's good and right justice directed towards our lives of rebellion and our lives of evil, our lives of ignoring God and choosing to live life in our own way in direct opposition to where God is. 1 John 4.10 says this, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now there's a big word, propitiation. Jesus becomes, comes and becomes our propitiation. What does that mean? That word. That means that Jesus there bears God's righteous anger as our substitute. He absorbs God's justice on our behalf and takes the rap for us. Jesus steps in. As it says there in that verse, that God sent his son to be the propitiation, sent him to take our position, take our place upon that cross and to bear God's right and good justice directed towards our sinful lives and directed towards us. This means that God doesn't just pass over our sins and let them go. God is actually just in all that he does and his justice is carried out upon uh, all of sinful activity that's been taken out. God remains totally and completely just and perfectly as God as he meets out his justice on Jesus because of our sin. Jesus absorbs all of God's wrath on our behalf. He takes the full force of God's right punishment for us and directed towards us for all of our sins. So why did Jesus come to die? Jesus came to die to be our substitute. Jesus came to die to take what we had earned and deserved in God's wrath. It's one that's not spoken about often, but that's one of the reasons that Jesus came, to take our place upon that cross. Another reason that Jesus came to die for us was to demonstrate his love for us. To demonstrate his love for us. The cross is multifaceted. As I said before, we could think of a whole stack of things we could talk about as far as reasons why Jesus came. But one of the very clear reasons that Jesus came was to use the cross as a place to point to, to show the unlimited love that God has for us in uh, Jesus dying for us. Ephesians 5.2 says this, And walk in love as... Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Sometimes we really struggle, I think, 
with the truth of God's love for us, on how it's demonstrated or how I perceive it or how I uh, understand it. We live in such a feelings-dominated culture. And often when we don't experience what we think are the feelings of the love of God, like sort of the warm feelings that I feel sort of warm and happy about God, when we don't experience them, we begin very quickly to, to doubt, well, I'm not sure whether God loves me because I don't sort of feel that warm feeling today or the feeling that somehow God loves me. It's like we're looking for those continual warm feelings to, as it were, uh, flood over us and just make me feel like God loves me. And when, when they're not there, I just doubt whether God loves me because I can't feel it. What we have to see then with love is that it is so much more than just feelings. It really, really is. Feelings are so fleeting and they are so fickle. They come and go depending on our circumstances quite often in life. We can't live and gauge God's love by feelings. As an example, to try and show this demonstration here of love in Beyond Feelings, I have a beautiful wife sitting over there. If I tell Laurel that I love her, that sounds really good to her, I imagine. She probably likes the sound of that, that I love her. But in another instance, if I did this, if I came home from work and Laurel's not at home, and then I see the kitchen is in a state of chaos, it's generally pretty good. If I see the kitchen's in a state of chaos... And then with that, I realise that Laurel's got this huge day on. She's in Shep doing all manner of things. What would happen if I decided then to spend the next hour cleaning and tidying up the kitchen for her and making things a bit more orderly? How would she feel? Well, she'd be totally shocked to start with when she walked in to see that take place. But beyond that, beyond the shock, she'd get over that pretty quick. How would she feel? She would think, wow, this guy loves me. My husband loves me. He's actually come home, he's probably tired from work and he's seen the kitchen in a mess, he's tied everything up, he's put all the stuff away. He really loves me. What's happened there? That's it. Let's see more of it. What's happened? I've performed an act. I've done a demonstration of that love for Laurel. I can simply say it when we leave for work in the morning, hey, love you darling, see you later on. Or I can do it another way by actually demonstrating that love and doing something to actually show that love other than mere words. And this is exactly what Jesus has done at the cross. It's a demonstration of that love. A demonstration. Actually, it's the highest expression that God could have made for us in the sacrifice of his son to come and make us right with him. And look at John 3.16. That's what it's all about. For God so loved the world. He's God loving the world and he does what? He gives his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. It's a demonstration of that love. Or Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us. God's showing his love for us. How is, showing, how is he showing that love for us? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The early Christians were astounded by this act of love demonstrated through the death of Jesus at the cross. They really saw a profound connection here between this demonstration of what Jesus had done and showing God's love for them. You'll see it often through the Bible, often through the New Testament. You'll see them linking together the death of Christ with the love of Christ for us. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. So there's this part who loved me and did what? Gave himself for me. 
they see this very vivid connection here between the death of Jesus Christ at the cross and the demonstration that God really and truly loves me. Look what he's done. This act or this demonstration of of God's love is then revealed into my heart. And then what it does, it begins to return in an act of love back towards him as we see this demonstration come. It considers that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, has loved me so much. Me, little insignificant me living here in um, Marupna, Victoria, Australia, and the one little tiny little speck on this planet, that God has demonstrated his love for me through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Little old insignificant me, this is the demonstration that he makes. And it's the highest possible demonstration that Jesus can make, or God can make, is this self-sacrifice of himself upon the cross. Why did Jesus come to die for us? To show you and to show uh, myself that he loves me more than I could ever imagine. How do I know God loves me? I look to the cross. God has sent his son to die for me and demonstrated that incredible love for me. A third reason. Why did Jesus came Uh, Why did Jesus come to die for us? To make us holy, blameless and perfect. This, I believe, again, is another major challenge that we struggle with as believers. Perhaps many people struggle with this in this world. I feel guilty. I feel dirty. I feel unworthy. I just don't feel I'm good enough to be a Christian. God will never accept me. I could never meet his demands or commands. I'm just not good enough to be someone that God would choose to call into his kingdom. I just wouldn't be good enough that God would love me. These, I believe, are the day-to-day battles that many people will have in their minds as they think about themselves. Some people will actually be plagued by these thoughts, feeling guilty, feeling unworthy, feeling, I just don't meet the standard. I'm just not there. It becomes a real battleground as well for Satan. Satan takes all of these thoughts and, as it were, sends them in like deadly missiles to come and to wound us and to cripple us. You could never be a Christian. You call yourself a Christian, you act like that. Satan pours it on sometimes and these lies of shame seem to dog us and don't give us a moment's rest at various seasons of our life. Overbearing at times. But the death of Jesus speaks an entirely different truth about ourselves to counteract these lies that Satan may throw at us or what our, mind, or what our own mind may perceive about ourselves. What does his death mean in the light of uh, this truth? Colossians 1.22 is a glorious passage of scripture. It says there, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, so he's the death of Jesus Christ, He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless and above reproach before him. Holy, blameless and above reproach before him. Now that is nothing short of simply stunning when you begin to think about that and apply that to your hearts and lives. What Jesus has achieved for us in the death. Holy, blameless and above reproach for what Jesus has completed for us at the cross lifts off the the burden of guilt that Satan would try and load up our backs with and load up our hearts and our minds with. Satan whispers into our mind, you're no good, you're just one big fail. You think you're a Christian? 
no Christian lives like this. Then you read Colossians 1.22 and you say, I'm holy, I'm blameless, and I'm above reproach. Isn't it the most wonderful thing to think about as you think about the truth of the gospel and you think about the truth of what Jesus Christ says? That crushes the lies of Satan. That crushes the lies that our own mind will try and convince ourselves of. Because of the death of Jesus, God sees me as holy right now. That's how God sees me. Because of the death of Jesus, God sees me as blameless. Blameless. I am blameless. I can be blamed for nothing. Satan can accuse all he like and point to all the things I may have done in the past and for all that I've done, but God sees me as blameless. God sees me as holy. I have nothing to answer for because of the death of Jesus Christ. What's happening is Jesus has taken all of my blame, all of my guilt, all of my shame, all of my sin upon himself and at the cross he has died in my place for that guilt, shame and blame. Hebrews again says the same thing. Hebrews 10.14 For by a single offering, this is the offering of Jesus at the cross, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Can you see what Jesus has achieved for us by dying at the cross? For by a single offering, Jesus' death, he has perfected. In other words, we are the finished article or the completed person that is holy and blameless before God. God sees us as perfect through Jesus Christ. And you cannot get any more complete or whole than perfect. Perfect is perfect. And if we just follow this on, look at this also, it says here, am I only perfect until I make the next mistake? Or is it the next wrong thing that I fall into, then I've blown that perfection? What does that passage say? It says, he has perfected for all time. Not just the next five minutes, not just the next month or the next year. Because of the work of Jesus Christ at the cross, I am perfected for all time. That is amazing. I'm not in and out of salvation. I'm perfected for all time. I am both now and forever perfect in God's sight because of what Jesus has done. Satan can say what he likes. My own mind can even try and confuse me and lie to me. Jesus came and died so that I would be perfected for all time. When Jesus has died on the cross, he's taken our sin unto himself. And at the conversion, the Holy Spirit exchanges that sin for the perfect life of Jesus Christ. So God now sees us through the perfection of Christ. Sees us through the perfectly right life of Jesus in total and complete obedience before him. Yes, we will still strive against sin from this position of perfection. There is still remaining or indwelling sin and corruption within us. But we strive now from the position of already perfect, the way God sees us in Christ. We may not be able to comprehend that, but that's exactly how God sees us. He knows us. He knows our struggles. He knows our failings. But he also, at the same time, sees us as perfect in him. And also from that position, we are striving each and every day with the remaining indwelling sin that's within us. When we grasp this truth, through the death of Jesus, we are to, uh, to be declared holy and blameless and perfect for all time. It does powerful things for our soul. 
It really, really does. If you can grasp it, that's how God sees me. It liberates me into joyful living for Jesus Christ. God sees me as holy and blameless. It fills my heart with love and adoration for God because he sees me as holy and blameless in Jesus. It fills our hearts with an eternal hope because he sees me holy and blameless through what Jesus has done for me. It places a glorious hope in my heart. Why did Jesus come to die? He came to do what I could never do in a million years. He came to do what I could never do in a billion years. He came to do what I could never, ever do, regardless of how long I may live on this earth. Jesus came to satisfy God's right anger towards my sinful, arrogant life. Jesus took God's wrath, his right wrath, his right anger towards my sin in my place. I deserve to be on that cross. I deserve to be nailed there. I deserve to absorb God's wrath. Jesus takes that for me. Jesus came to display God's love. A vivid demonstration here of the love of God in the highest expression possible through his own self-sacrifice. God loves me. I've only got to look to the cross and I see that love demonstrated there for me. Jesus came and died also to declare me holy, blameless and perfect for all time by his one supreme act of mercy. And you know what I find really staggering about this? What's really amazing about this? You or I become the receiver of this position simply by the grace of God. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. We don't do a whole heap of series of things to somehow get to that position and now God gives it to me. God freely, graciously gives it to me as I place my trust in what Jesus has done turn away from sinful living and I am saved and seen as holy, blameless and perfect through the graciousness of a great and loving God. The death of Jesus Christ may confuse some. People may walk, drive past the church and see a cross up there and think, what is this crucifixion all about? But for those who believe, but for those who believe and receive that understanding from the Holy Spirit, we will never, we will never stop singing of the glories of Calvary as we think about just some of those very simple truths here that Jesus has achieved for us at the cross. So today, as we gather on Good Friday, we think about a little over 2,000 years ago where Jesus was right now. Perhaps uh, receiving uh, whippings or beatings at this point in time, perhaps maybe walking up the hill of Golgotha. This is what Jesus was going to achieve for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you today as we just reflect upon those three reasons. Uh, That Lord, uh, you came, Jesus, you came to absorb the Father's wrath towards our sin. That Jesus, you came to demonstrate the love that you had for us in the highest expression possible by sacrificing yourself upon that cross. And that Jesus, you came to declare us and to make us holy and blameless and perfect for all time. In your sight. I pray today that Holy Spirit you would take just those truths and that you would uh, draw them down deeper into our hearts and give us a a growing uh, love and wonder and awe for the great things that God has achieved for us through Jesus. Please today I ask that you would uh, help us to never ever grow tired or grow weary of thinking and dwelling upon the cross. Today I pray that you would uh, deepen our hearts understanding in that and we ask that in Jesus' name.
Just as we move to the communion table, we're going to uh, get the uh, guys who are singing tomorrow come and just sing us an item, and then we'll uh, come back to the communion. So for those who are handing out, have we... Doug and, Doug and Jane, you guys can grab that, that will be good.
And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus knew what was coming. And Jesus intently there says he desires to share this meal with them before he dies for them. He knows the suffering that's coming his way. Jesus wants this meal that they're about to have to be indelibly etched into their minds for time and all of time to come as well. The Passover meal celebrates or remembers when the angel of death passed over the house of the Israelites back when they were living in the land of Egypt. It was really symbolic of what Jesus was actually about to be. Because Jesus, um, what the Israelites did back then was painted the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. Wherever the angel of death saw this blood of the lamb, it passed over that house and didn't uh, kill the firstborn child in that household. Jesus is there then showing them that he is their Passover lamb and our Passover lamb in this very moving ceremony. And it goes on in verse 16, he says this, For I tell you, I will not eat of it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, And gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after the cup they'd eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. When we hold the cup and the cracker in our hands, we are doing exactly what Jesus has asked the disciples here to do. Do this in remembrance of me. Reflect upon my death. Reflect upon the suffering that I'm about to enter into and understand what it's achieved for you. Understand today that it did absorb God's wrath. It did fully satisfy the justice of God. My death is a vivid demonstration of the love I have for you. My death is there to declare you holy, blameless and perfect for all time. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the very reason we take this today, these emblems, because we want to do this again to remember what Jesus has done for us. Because in the world we live in, in our weak minds, we very quickly and easily forget. So we want to be reminded often what this cup represents is the blood of Christ poured out upon that cross to speak the forgiveness of our sins. The suffering of his broken body, suffering horribly at the hands of the cruel Roman soldiers and we would have done just the same thing had we been there. We're not going to lay all the blame on them. This speaks of that suffering he goes through and speaks of the suffering as he is separated from God bearing our sin. So let's take the bread now and remember the suffering of Christ as we eat that bread. And taking the cup as well, reflecting again upon the blood of Christ that flowed freely from his side. And that same blood speaks forgiveness today as it did back then. Let's drink this cup remembering the blood that the precious Son of God, God in the flesh, poured out for us.
Father, we want to um, give you thanks today, Lord. There's no words that we could express that could possibly uh, show the gratitude that we should be showing. Father, I I pray today that you would give us hearts that not only speak of Christ uh, in our day-to-day living and worshipping him in our day-to-day living, but Lord, you would help us to express that through lives of worship and sacrifice of all that you've given to us. So that, Lord, we could declare and show the greatness of Jesus Christ and his willingness to come to this world and to be that sacrifice for us. Holy Spirit, today we ask and we pray that you will just continue to work in our hearts and lives, deepening and growing the cross of Jesus Christ. Let us never be ashamed of it. Let us always speak about it. Let us speak openly about it, I pray. God, today I thank you that we can gather together as the church, and we can remember the death of Christ. And I pray that this day uh, would continue to, Lord, be something that grows in our hearts and our minds. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have simply come and uh, saved us and reconciled us back to yourself. God, we ask that and we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Uh, We would love to see you again if you're able to come on Sunday as, uh, again, we celebrate.